0: Well, I'm back again. How's everybody doing these, this first Sunday of December? Good? Hey, I like that. Everyone's excited for the Advent season, the Christmas season, and we're so grateful that you have come to worship with us here this evening. You know, the Christmas season, the Advent season, is one of belief. When you were a child, belief in Santa Claus. When you are an adult, belief in a bonus check. Can I get an Amen. And when you're a Christian, belief in the Son of God, born of a virgin named Mary, in a little town called Bethlehem, with Joseph as the father, as you just heard Joshua read. Now this is a time of the unexpected, the mystifying, I even thought of a great book title, you can't steal it, okay, because I may write it one day. It's the mystifying miracle of Christmas, I like how it fits, you know, it just feels right. But this is a season of, of people say magic, the magic of the season, of a celebration of a miracle, the incarnation where God became man. And we spend this Advent season preparing and looking forward that Jesus has come and celebrating 2,000 years ago what took place and also reminding ourselves that he will also come again. You see, Though we celebrate this, I feel that at times in the church, because we have heard this message many, many times, we have read these passages many times, if you've been in the church for several years or for decades, you have listened to the the stories of the Advent wreath be lit, you have read them. And so what can happen is you can begin to accept the message of Christmas, but you forget the miracle. You accept the message because it's what you know, it's what you believe. If someone were to ask you what you believe about Christmas, you would say, listen, Christmas is about the son of God being born to a virgin in a little town of Bethlehem. And he was the one that has come to redeem the world. But what if you were to dive deeper on this claim? What if you were to push farther below the surface of just acceptance of that claim, but really look at the wonder of the incarnation, the the beauty of this miracle. C.S. Lewis, who was uh, an author, a theologian, wrote many fiction novels as well. He has a great quote. He says this, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. You see, when you consider this deeply, here's what you have to believe and come to understand. That the God of the universe became one of us, Emmanuel, God with us, That the creator looked at his creation who had fallen away from him, who had fallen into sin, rejected God's design, and he became part of his creation for the very purpose of redeeming his creation back into relationship with him, the creator. And we receive that. Maybe many of you believe that, but... It stays on the surface. Oftentimes, I think many people are afraid to push deeper because sometimes miracles can make someone feel uncomfortable. I don't don't want any doubt to arise. I don't want to have any messiness in my Christmas season. I just want to experience the magic of it. So I'm going to accept the message. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to say yes, but I'm not going to really drill down much farther because it may get messy. It may affect things for me. But I think we miss so much when we do that. You miss the miracle of Christmas. And it's not only the miracle of the incarnation, which, as C.S. Lewis says, is the central miracle of Christianity that God became man, but it's also a miracle of peace that is made available to you that is so profound when you deeply consider it. And so, this evening, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go below just the acceptance of this Christmas message. And look at this miracle of peace. The Christmas message reveals a miracle of peace to us. And we will be looking at it from the unique vantage point of Joseph and Mary as well. So our passage in, our first passage actually for this evening is in Matthew chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you could turn there. If you have our Crossbridge Brickle app, you can always go to the notes section, follow along that way. Also on the screen, we'll have the text for this evening but Matthew chapter 1, we begin in verse 18 and 19, where Joseph is struggling with the news that he has just received. Here's what it says. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When, Mary, when, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, And unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So here's what's happened. As we just read in the lighting of the Advent candle for this evening, Mary has received from the Lord a proclamation that she is with child. And the child, as Mary certainly knows, is not from any earthly man. It is from the Holy Spirit. She's conceived a child of the Holy Spirit who is the Son of God. And she has now come to Joseph to tell him of this news. And Joseph is not receiving it well. He is struggling with the news of the miraculous conception. He believes his wife, I imagine, is trying to justify that she has slept with another man. And he's telling her that it's from God. This makes me think of like when people break up and it's like God told me to, you know? So Joseph is like, okay, so you're pregnant. I know it wasn't my child. And you're telling me that God told you that it was from him that the Holy Spirit conceived a child within you. And she's like, that's exactly what happened. And he's now in conflict. And the only thing that he can think about doing is to divorce her, is to break the relationship down. But it says that he's a just and a kind man. He's a fair man. He really loves Mary, and he's conflicted and struggling deeply with this news that he's received, and he's full of doubt. He's having a very hard time accepting it. And so he wants to divorce her quietly. Now, it shows his love for her in that because during this time period, If someone was to commit adultery and then divorce was to take place, there's a lot of shame associated with that. It even says that he's trying to keep her from shame. He's looking to preserve her life, but her life in two ways, really. One, her dignity, because there would be so much shame poured upon her. But secondly, it wasn't uncommon that times when people committed adultery, there would be charges brought up and many people were stoned. He's trying to preserve her life physically and her dignity. So he thinks, I I don't know what to do with this news. I'm having a really hard time believing this. And so the only thing I can possibly imagine as a right solution is to divorce her quietly, to try to preserve her dignity and her life. So that's what he's considering. Verse 20, we read this. But as he considered these things, we got to stop right there. I always say that God's word is like a 10-course tasting menu. It is not McDonald's. So you go slow. You don't consume it fast. Think about how instructive this is. It's simple. He's receiving news that he's having a very hard time accepting. There's a conflict between he and his wife. Now, they're engaged, but in that time period, they would have been considered actually married, even though the relationship and the marriage wasn't consummated. Because these marriages were arranged, Mary and Joseph were considered married even though they were still betrothed. They were still engaged. And so that's why the language of divorce is used. So in this conflict, he thinks, all I can do is divorce her. I have a hard time believing this. But then it says, he considered these things. See, he's not rash. He's not impulsive. He's self-controlled. He's considerate. He's thinking about what Mary has said. He's being thoughtful. He's not intellectually passive. He's open as he considered these things. What great wisdom for us. In a time, in a world of fractured relationships, a fracturing church, people fracturing all across different levels of society, in large part, I think, because people are not considerate. They don't consider anything. It's more about being rash and even impulsive because you're just kind of going with your passions instead of being intellectually active and open and thoughtful and considering what, why there is a conflict and what other people say that affects you and, and hurts you. You see, what we see in Joseph here is, is the path of a peacemaker, You're going to see how this takes place, but it actually starts with consideration. Consideration unlocks peacemaking. It unlocks peacemaking. And I really believe that there's so much wisdom for us to receive, even in just these few short, short words of what would it look like if we were a people that were considerate and sought the path of peace. Right? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We have a ministry and a life of reconciliation. We're to be people of love and unity And so certainly we are to be on a path of peacemaking and we are to be considerate, self-controlled and open and and have a listening spirit. And I think if we took up this wisdom and lived this path, we'd see two things. And these are two things that I have seen happening both in the church and in the culture over the past two years. One, I think in the church, we would see a building of unity and love. We see quite the opposite, actually, Uh, when you read articles and you look on the news, you see a church that is fracturing. Maybe you've read about that. You've heard about that. You have family members and friends where churches have divided and split off. In large part, I think because there's a lack of consideration. Let me just be really transparent. A lot of people have left the church because they heard one sermon they didn't like. Or they heard one point that didn't make a lot of sense to them. They didn't want to consider it. They didn't ask, and they just... Separated. They saw an Instagram post or a tweet that they didn't understand the context of and they didn't pursue, and they split off from a community or from a person or from a church. A lot of people have kind of been going to churches or to their church leaders and said, I don't understand these priorities. This should be your priority. And if it's not, then I'm going to have to go somewhere else. I don't understand why you would say that and not this. There's been a lack of consideration in the church. And there's been a fracturing of the church as a part of that. Now I'll tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a a sermon of honesty. I've experienced that over the past two years. But I've also experienced the opposite. I've also experienced people that have approached me and said, can we get coffee? Can we get lunch? Can we talk about something I'm having a hard time understanding? I've experienced people in this church that have sought the path of peacemaking, that have wanted to be considerate. And you know what it has done? It has built unity between me and that person, between the church, and there's a deep love when people are considerate. See, we should be the example of that. We should not be fracturing this. Certainly, there are times where God calls people to go to different churches, and I believe that this city needs all types of churches to reach all types of people, but what we should not be, because Jesus prayed exactly against it, is a divided church. We should be seeking unity and love and giving each other grace. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to need your grace. I'm not beyond grace. I need a lot of it. We should be seeking to consider each other. And I think if we do that, not only within the community of God's people, within the church, but we seek to do that in the culture as well, we would see that the church would begin to act as it's supposed to, as Jesus said, as a light in the culture. Let me just ask you this question what if instead of being triggered, you considered? You could write that down. What if instead of being triggered, you considered? Before responding on social media or in a conversation, you said, why do I feel this way? What is underneath of underneath my anger? What is creating this reaction within me? Why do they think the way they think? How do they hold that position? Let me ask. Let me inquire. And when there is conflict, what if you took Joseph's example and you sought to resolve it quietly instead of publicly? There's a lot of wisdom just in a few words. Consideration. You see, consideration unlocks peacemaking. And as Joseph is receiving this news, and you have to imagine, he feels a lot of pain. He feels wounded. He's so confused. His, his wife, his fiance that he's engaged to, she's saying things to him, and he's like, I, I don't know why you're saying this. I'm having a hard time believing it. But he considers. Self-controlled and not rash. And then we read this. In verse 20 through 25, says this, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God meets him when he considers but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called, he called his name Jesus. You see, consideration unlocks peacemaking. He is not rash. He's self-controlled and goes to bed that night. He thinks that the right decision is to divorce her quietly, to try to you know, keep shame from her and preserve her life. And it is there that the Holy Spirit meets him God speaks to him in a dream and says, listen, what Mary is saying is true. You need to make peace with her. You need to stay with her. She's been blessed. She's conceived of a child through the Holy Spirit, and this will be Emmanuel, God with us. So I imagine Joseph wakes from that dream and hearing from the Lord, and there's a lot of apologizing to Mary, a lot of apologizing to Mary. She's like, I told you. He's like, I know, I know, I know. But you got to understand from my point of view, it was wild what you were saying. But he does, in fact, do exactly what is said. He stays with her. He makes peace with her in that relationship as he considers. Now, what happens after this is, is quite interesting. So, Joseph resolves to stay with her throughout the pregnancy. And we fast forward. We're going to skip to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. And we read what begins to take place at the very end of Mary's pregnancy. As Joseph has considered, it's unlocked peacemaking. He's made peace with his wife. They've stayed together. I'm sure they received all types of consequences of of what people were saying, how people were putting down Joseph, what they were saying about Mary. Mary. And yet, they remained together, trusting in the Lord. And we read this in the very beginning of chapter 2 in the Gospel of Luke. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. There's a census. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, Galilee is the region, Nazareth is within it, to Judea, another region, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, the city within that region, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Okay, so let's let's just kind of frame what's taking place here. Joseph has received this news from the Lord that what Mary has been saying is true. They stay together despite the consequences, despite the tarnishing of their reputation in the city of Nazareth trusting in God and what he's doing there's peace restored in their relationship and at the very end of the pregnancy they receive a command that they have to leave their town in Nazareth and they have to travel all the way down to the town of Bethlehem because Joseph is of the lineage of David he is of a royal lineage and so he has to register in the town associated with his ancestry So he's on this journey back to a place of royalty. Now, Joseph is not in that place. Certainly in Nazareth, it's an overlooked town. He is not in a place of power and influence, but his bloodline is royal. And so he makes this trek with his wife, most likely in the ninth month of pregnancy. And this journey feels anything but royal. Can you imagine how that must have felt. Everything is ready and they receive a command to go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, which would have taken about one to two weeks, probably the longer ends because Mary's at the very end of her term. They're traveling with a donkey and walking this distance. And this is not easy. These are rocky roads. The weather is unpredictable. The terrain is alternating between desert and mountainous terrain, they're sleeping outside, which is not only uncomfortable because there's no protection and shelter, but also dangerous because there's wild animals, there's robbers on these trade routes that they're walking. And they're not eating a normal meal, a hot meal, especially a meal that a woman who's in her ninth month of pregnancy wants to have. They're eating like bread and oil and water, what they can carry on the side of the donkey. So they arrive all the way on this journey frustrated tired, I'm sure. They get to Bethlehem, and it seems as if they're the last ones to get there because everyone's gone to their towns where their ancestry is located from their lineage. But it took them a long time because Mary's pregnant. So they've arrived most likely at the tail end of all these other families, and there's nowhere for them to stay. They can't find a place. Everything's taken. Imagine just for a moment how Joseph feels. He arrives in Bethlehem. It's, it's because of his lineage and bloodline they have to be there. And there's nowhere for them to stay. So the father in him kicks in, the problem solver. I'm going to figure this out. And I'm panicking, panicking inside, but I'm going to tell Mary, we're, it's, everything's okay. You know, we're fine. And he's probably feeling like a failure. We didn't get here enough time. I, I can't give birth to my child in the street The son of God cannot be born in a street. He's running around the city trying to find somewhere to stay. There's no room anywhere. And this innkeeper tells him, listen, I I don't have any room, but there's a stable you can go to. It has some animals in it and stuff, but at least it's shelter, a place to stay warm, better than out in the open on the street. So there they go to this stable. And there, around the animals... Jesus is born, placed in a manger, which was a feeding trough, and wrapped in, it says, swaddling cloths, really just rags. There, in a manger. So I want to retrace really quickly what we just talked about. Joseph is heading from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of his royal ancestry. But the experience is anything but royal. It's chaotic. It's a feeling of displacement. Because the empire has come to him and told him what he must do. And they know exactly why. They have to go register because the empire wants to flaunt how much power and influence they have. It's an, it's an ego play and it's also a greed play because they want to know how many people they have so they can collect enough taxes. So they have to go on this trek, experience this chaos and frustration because the empire wants more money and because it's egotistical. They had everything set in Nazareth. Their friends and family were ready. Jesus' bedroom was ready. The doctor was on call and now none of that and Jesus is born in a stable around animals. Imagine how angry Mary and Joseph felt. I know I'd be angry. So frustrated, angry, chaotic, a feeling of being displaced, anything but royal. And yet, what do we see in the nativity? Peace. Think about the story of Jesus' birth and the trek it took. I mean, it is anything but peaceful, and yet every single story or picture or article or movie that depicts the birth of Jesus it's peaceful. Have you ever noticed that? It's, it's like a warm and inviting. and you know, the animals are so happy and they're looking at Jesus. It's peaceful. There's a peace about it. Why is that? When everything surrounding what took place right before was chaotic and feeling of displacement, I'm sure anger. Well, we get a little bit of an insight into Mary and Joseph's disposition within that stable. A few verses later, we read about the shepherds. We're going to look at that next week. But these, the angels show up before the shepherds, and they, they share about the birth of Jesus. It's the annunciation, and they are shocked. They get charged to go find Jesus, who has been born in Bethlehem, and to worship him. And they listen to the angels, and they go before Jesus. And when they get there, it says this in verse 18 of chapter 2. It says, and all who heard it, or they get start speaking about what's taken place, their story of the angel going to Bethlehem. It says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So by this point, there's other people there, sounds like, not just Mary and Joseph, there's other people around. The baby's just been born in a stable in Bethlehem. And the shepherds come and they start telling everybody what's taking place. They're out in the fields, an angel came, told us to go to Bethlehem, this is the savior who has been born, and everyone else is like really confused. Like, what? It's just a child in a manger. I mean, I feel bad for this couple. But it says this in verse 19. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. She treasures what has been told to her by the shepherds, and ponders them, considers them within her heart. You see, the reason that the nativity is a symbol of peace is because of the presence of the one who's born there. Mary and Joseph, despite the chaos, despite the feeling of being displaced, despite the anger they feel towards the Roman Empire, There's a peace because the Savior has been born, because Jesus is in that space. That's why the nativity is a symbol of peace, because of the presence of the one who has been born. You see, they may have been displaced from their home, and Jesus certainly is not residing currently in the the room they had prepared for him at their house, but they've never felt more at home than in that manger. Surrounding that manger in the stable. Joseph, that feels anything but royal in this past few weeks, and yet he's never been closer to royalty than right there in the stable around the manger. You see, friends, I feel like our life a lot of times, many times, is like this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's chaotic, it's a feeling of being displaced. There's an anger that begins to build within us when we're commanded to do things or told to do things that we don't want to do. We feel like a failure at times when we break people's expectations or when we don't live up to our own expectations, especially for the people that we love and are closest to us. We feel hopeless. We feel frustrated. We feel out in the cold. And yet, peace is available. Despite life feeling like that, you have everything prepared, everything is good to go, and then it goes right off the deep end. Chaos, displacement, anger, feeling like a failure, yet peace is available. Jesus says this in John chapter 14. Listen to these words. They're so instructive and so important for us to receive in this Advent season. It says this, the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You see, what Jesus is promising here, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who you have received in faith, when you come to faith in Christ, believe not only in his incarnation, but in his life and his death and his resurrection, you receive the Holy Spirit, the very same Spirit that gave birth to that child, which was Jesus, Son of God within Mary, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the very one who unites you with your creator, and he is a helper to you, that when you feel displaced, you can find home. That when you feel frustrated, you can find strength. When you feel anger, you can find a sense of calm. When you feel hopeless, you can find peace. This is the very helper that you have access to. He will teach you all things, and bring to remembrance, bring, bring to mind everything that Jesus has said. That's what Jesus is saying. He's going to teach you everything Jesus has said and bring to mind what he said, which is a declaration of your forgiveness, that your shame has been put away, not quietly, but publicly on the cross so that you can live free and without shame and guilt, that God has a good plan for your future, He's promised that in Romans 8.28 where the Apostle Paul says that all things are working for good and you can take that to the bank even when you don't understand God's plans, even when it feels like you're walking that journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, there's a good plan in store for you. That peace is available because the Holy Spirit will teach you and bring to mind all that Jesus has said to you, all the promises of God. You see... Why is the nativity a symbol of peace? Why was Mary, despite the chaos surrounding, able to treasure and value up everything she heard from the shepherds? Why was Joseph feeling greater honor than he's ever experienced in his life when he's sitting before Jesus placed in that manger? It's because Jesus is there. Jesus is peace. The very Holy Spirit that brings to mind all that Jesus has said fills you with peace. Peace I give to you and peace I leave with you. Why? Because you're going to remember and think on Jesus. You see, Advent, Advent peace is available at all times in Jesus. At all times. Whenever you feel displaced and chaotic and down and frustrated with yourself and hopeless, peace is available. And I want you to hear this very clearly. When you need peace, when you really need peace, because you feel like you are walking from Nazareth to Bethlehem and nothing is going according to plan, remember the nativity. That despite everything that may be swirling around, you can find peace when you fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he is peace. See, the last place that anyone would have considered that the Son of God would be born would be in a stable place in a manger. And the last place that the world would preach or consider that peace would be found is in Jesus. The world will offer you peace in a million different ways and you will find it in none of them. Look in the place that is overlooked by this world, and that is at Jesus, at his feet and before him. Don't run around the world looking for peace in other places because you know what you will find? No room in the inn. You will feel more displaced and chaotic than ever. But the message of Christmas, the message of the incarnation in Jesus' birth is that the miracle of peace is available to you. And it's available to you tonight. Peace right now in your relationship with God and peace in whatever is surrounding you. You can walk out and start this week full of peace. And I pray that you access that through faith and that you take hold of that. Look beneath the story and really believe in faith that Jesus is who he says he is, which is peace for you. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, I pray to you right now that we would not be intoxicated with the world's offerings of peace. Ones that will never satisfy. They give a false sense of hope. They look good on the outside, but they're empty underneath. We confess, God, that we are people that try to take our own life into our hands, but we find no room in the end time and time again. Our life feels like this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, chaotic. We feel displaced. We feel like a failure. We don't feel any deep sense of honor or gratitude. Help us to remember the nativity, that you are peace, that the Holy Spirit who is with us right now, that you, Holy Spirit, bring to mind all the promises of God, everything Jesus has said, and you will teach it to us so that we might find that peace, not the peace in the way the world offers, but true peace, so we don't have to be afraid of the circumstances surrounding the situation that we're in. We can be full of hope. So I pray that we would be that type of church, one that goes to you, Jesus, for peace, and one that seeks the path of a peacemaker by considering what you have said to us and even being considerate to others. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.